Um, <clears throat> yes, today I'm going to try to talk about um, over 20 years of art practice that is my work um, that has taken many different forms. And until recently, I was never very clear about why it took all these forms. I um, did a degree in fine art where I specialised in sculpture, but I worked mainly in performance and installation. Um, in those days, if you didn't do painting or printmaking, you did sculpture. So everything that wasn't flat went into sculpture. I also um, worked with, started working with digital media in the mid-90s, and I'd often wondered what linked together um, the digital, the use of technology, and the live aspects of my work. Um, when I started working at the OU um, four years ago, I came across systems theory, as I suppose a lot of people do when they start working at the OU. And I started to think to myself, yeah, well, that's what we do in art and design. And it seemed totally natural to me, and I just didn't know it had a title before. Then I met Jeff Johnson and I came across complex systems theory and I thought, well, that's what we do in digital art and design because we design interactive systems that are, are try to accommodate emergent behaviours. So I started to have a different perspective on my work of the last 20 years and uh, this is the presentation sort of testing and outlining that perspective. One of the key words for me with all my work was performativity because it always seemed that, the, that I was putting something into place that would then be activated or take on some sort of um, dimensional capacity for change after I had left it. Um, I'll go into that in a little bit of detail later on. But um, rather than starting with the idea of complex systems art, I put together this rather cumbersome phrase of 4D performative systems. Um, I'll define these terms before we go any further. Yes, yeah, so I'm providing, for me, this is just an optic on a diverse practice. And I'm querying the idea of four-dimensional four performative systems as complex systems in relation to live art and digital media. 4D is a term coined by Alec Robertson, who's now at De Montfort, um, in 1995, as a phrase for um, dynamic systems. And he's applied this idea in lots of diverse ways, and it's a really interesting idea. Um, the, the notion that something has another dimension to it, it as a live dimension, a dynamic dimension, perhaps an unpredictable or uncontrollable dimension. And I use the term performativity in the way that Foucault coined it. Um, the, and this is a nice quote that sums up Foucault, <laughs> which is obviously quite a difficult thing to do. But the reiterative power of discourse to produce the ph phenomena that it regulates and constrains. Now, because I'm from a humanities background, discourse is quite a powerful um, idea to me. And the relationship between representation and reality is a core of my theoretical research. And I will go back to that in the end. So I'm working with this idea that by representing something, um, you are reiterating it and regulating it and constraining it, as well as bringing it into being. And I've lost my little cursor now. So... Alec Robertson's notion of 4D, Foucault's idea of performativity in relation to discourse, and then somehow adding to the mix systems thinking. And I quite like this um, definition of systems thinking for me because it lifts it um, 
out of the out of science and technology and you know gives it a broader background pragmatics again for me is linked to discourse and it anchors it within my discipline is everybody familiar with systems theory aren't they are they you know, okay, no, I, it was new to me as well. Um, um, it's the idea that um, instead of looking at component parts, you look at the whole and the relationship between the parts. So it's sort of the, op in the sciences, I believe, it's the opposite of reductionism. So you're looking at relationships. And I think it wouldn't be difficult to argue that that's what art is always about, because it relates very simply to things like composition, you know, the relationships between objects or elements. So there's an archive that I want to go through, some current projects, and then a sort of um, tentative conclusion about what a complex systems art might be. The archive I've divided into four sections, and I've, um, I, li I like titles. I've given them these like, nice little handles, because I like little handles on things. And the new handles in relation to this new optic on my practice. Um, live interventions, time-based objects, inactive systems, and time-based media. So the live interventions, for me, um, goes back to situationism and guide aboard and the idea of putting um, things within a context as an intervention so that you're not putting your art in the gallery, you're putting it within um, a day-to-day -day environment or a specific environment, you're intervening. So for me, live interventions were using context to define the performativity of the object. Now, this was completely stupid, but I'm going to admit I did it anyway. I made a false road sign, and I stuck it at the side of a road. And I was most interested to realize that the traffic was swerving. Now, obviously, there's a, I moved it <laughs> when I realized the traffic was swerving. But I thought, people are not reading this as if it's a pink padded triangle. They're reading it because of the context as if it's a hazardous road sign. So this was my sort of, um, I was only about 20 at the time, this was my exploration of interventions and semiotics and the dialogue of road use, because I'm very interested in semiotics and signs and how they're applied and used in society. So this is... Um, a live intervention. And this is another live intervention. It's me dressed as a shop dummy sitting in a shop window. And um, when I was invited to do something in this space as part of the Liverpool Festival of Comedy, I was sort of really delighted to think I could go in the shop window and I could pretend to be not real. And it seemed really thrilling, like as if I'd always wanted to do that or something. It was sort of a compelling thing. And I sat in this window all day and lots of different people gathered, and I could hear them talking about me, and people were saying, nah, it's a dummy. And some were going, ah, it's not a dummy, it's a bloke. <laughs> and all sorts of interesting reactions. And when they got very complacent, I'd decide I'd suddenly move or something, which made everybody leap back. And then there were really random things like, oh, it's a hologram. And I was thinking... <laughs> My friend was a holographer at the time, and they were all sort of green and rubbish. You know, so there was no way there was going to be a hologram that looked like this. But again, it was an intervention, and it was live. And my work is essentially intuitive, and it's um, afterwards I start um, digesting it and rationalising it and reflecting on it, which is a, a, a method we were taught, really, on a fine art degree, to be a critical practitioner, a reflective practitioner. So half the time, I don't know why I'm doing these things, but I know I'm really relishing it, and it makes sense to me. 
Now, this is a collection called... I did a lot of things like that, but I'm trying to skim over 20 years here. So um, this is a collection I've called Time-Based Objects. Um, there's a quite an, a common phrase, time-based media, but I liked the notion of time-based objects because I used to make um, sculptures that didn't last very long. And it wasn't anything as profound as the ice sculptures where you spend you know, months making it and then it all melts because there's something quite zen and about letting go. Mine did silly things like um, exploded because it, they were too... Sh uh, I put balloons and glass together, um, knowing that um, how, like, how long will it last. Some of them lasted ages. Some of them didn't last very long at all. Or I'd fill things with different um, liquids and make an installation that sort of moved and, and different viscosity of different liquids was cause, cause it to have a different duration. So it was a sort of experiment, really, seeing um, how long these things lasted. And also the joy of not knowing what they might do. I suppose not caring either. So this is glass and balloon. Uh, basically, when I was in Liverpool at this time, there were lots of empty places where my studio was and down the docks. And there was a big empty glass factory. And um, it had been empty for so long and had no roof on and there was all moss growing all over the glass, which was obviously really rich pickings for photography, um, but also really interesting objects. So we'd cart off all these shapes of glass and sort of experiment with them. And I felt really lucky again to have these like, you know, what were they for? I don't know. Maybe they were for some like, electricity pylon or something, flat circles of glass with really sharp edges. And I started thinking, how, can I get a balloon through there and how long will it last? And, and then I got into the idea, I got into taking photographs of the, the destruction because I started to like the destruction as much as the construction. And that's something I call multiple pile-up, because loads of things exploded over time. And because they were sort of um, aesthetically coherent, because it was all bits and things that I'd made, um, I liked the way it looked, and I started taking pictures. And by this time, I started thinking, well, am I actually a sculptor at all? Because I'm not making anything that lasts any length of time, and what I'm left with is photographs. What am I doing? I don't know, but I liked the process and I liked the outcome. This is an installation called Dead Celebrities. Um, I, when I did commercial work during this time in Liverpool, I worked a lot for the um, entertainment industry. And uh, the idea of celebrity and its trajectory and how one could be uh, not famous and then really famous and then not famous or, you know, all these different relationships to sort of fame, which, which was equated with value. And I made this installation called Dead Celebrities. And the coils, the spring coils were made of different materials and the uh, balloons were filled with different liquids. So there was a sort of um, unpredictable dynamic to the installation. It started off quite neat and tidy. And then we had a private view and we all got a bit drunk. And the next morning it was completely trashed. So I took, again, lots of photographs of it in, its, in disarray because it seemed very poignant of the morning after. It sort of lasted as long as the launch and then what was left was a big hangover of wrecked sculpture, which sort of seemed appropriate at that time to what was going on. I did a lot of live performance as well as part of a group um, called F. And um, I've called this section um, Enactive Systems because obviously in a live performance there's a physical element. Although when I was sat in a shop window, I, I was doing a live performance, I was, it was an intervention and there was the system of that was between me and the context and the viewer. Um, when we've done live performances, they weren't really participatory, so the system was within the thing that we'd created. It was between us and the technology. 
And very often we would design the performances or, uh, give, and give ourselves a concept and then we'd just go on and jam it. So it's very much like a sort of jazz approach or an Im- improvisational approach. This one was called Screams and it was a poem. It was a part of the Edinburgh Fringe. And um, the, the main focal point on the stage was a television which was switched to white noise. And then we used a black net. Um, and black net's really interesting because it collects um, projected light, but it also um, doesn't do what white net does and creates a sort of screen. So in the background, we had different sorts of lighting, like light bulbs and smoke machines and everything. And it was like a three-dimensional tableau, you know, like the Victorian photographs. But a bit of an odd one, obviously. And... Um, we were saying earlier, there's a lot of this stuff on YouTube, and I've decided that's where it's going to stay. <laughs> but if anyone wants to look at it later. Um, but for me, this was... Um, I loved the idea that people were dancing around a telly. So the fact that we got the audience dancing was a real um, sort of achievement to me. And this is a more complicated version of a similar thing that we did at the Everyman in Liverpool and the Green Room Manchester, and it was commissioned by Northwest Live Art Network. And uh, we used compu- computer-controlled projections, again, to create this uh, plane with the focal plane, and the audience need- had to wear three-dimensional glasses because they were anaglyph 3D. So at this point, we were trying to get um, big shapes in space, um, or the illusion of big shapes in space that weren't really there. Again, it's up on YouTube if anybody's uh, really keen. Okay, and this is when it starts to become interactive, the final bit of um, performance I'm going to refer to. Um, We were using data gloves, and we were using computer monitors, and we were authoring everything in hypercard, but the idea was that um, the audience could um, give us... um, uh, what was it called? Like a, a vibrational impulse from their handsets, and that would feed into us controlling the graphics or something. So it was a bit rusty and a bit difficult to achieve. And it was, um, but it was an interesting loop between the audience and the performers. So art history-wise, this sort of falls into um, participatory art and systems art, where the audience is part of the show or the audience is driving the show. Okay, so on to time-based media. Oh, oh, it's jumped. Installations or single-screen stuff where there's an element of chance in the way it's either composed or the way it's screened. And there's a key piece of work in here that I want to discuss, which is this one. Um, another artist, a uh, friend of mine, was commissioned to do... Um, oh, no, it's not that one, Sorry. I was commissioned to do um, a self-portrait for a touchscreen installation in 1994 by the Foundation for Art and Creative Technology and London Film and Video Access and Tramway in Glasgow. And I put together um, something that I called like autobiographical vignettes. So again, it was like live performance, but it was to screen. And people could jump between these sort of alter egos. And between the jumps, there was white noise again. So it was the idea of sort of 
different aspects of oneself being like on different channels. And um, I put a soundtrack onto it that was just live television from the, the day of the edit. So I was quite into this idea of just, it's like found objects, but it's like found media objects. And I thought, well, I won't choose a soundtrack. I'll just put the telly on when I get in there. I'll see what channel's on. I'll just pinch. As when I finish the edit, I'll just take a slice of the television onto my soundtrack. And at the end, when I talk about the theory, um, a lot of this sort of practice is well accounted for in like Umberto Eco's notion of the open work where the reader brings to the work their own interpretation anyway. So I was very open to playing with that. Again, it was like the sculptures. I didn't really mind if they exploded or how long they lasted. And I didn't really mind, you know, um, what, the, what I was... I don't know. I didn't necessarily want any complete control over what people understood from my work. So I was quite open to experimenting. This is the one I want to um, concentrate on. A friend of mine, Louisa McKeever, was commissioned to do a three-month time-based project, um, which involved locking herself in a chastity belt. Um, it was under the title of Civil Liberties and um, Human Rights, and um, she did a lot of research work into the fact that these things still existed. And she was um, commissioned, we were both commissioned, by time, whole time-based arts. I don't know if anybody's heard of whole time-based arts. And my job was to document this. Brilliant. <laughs> You know, a friend of mine is doing something totally obscure, really private, contentious, possibly sexual, and I'm commissioned to document it. Right, okay, so I've got an issue. At this time, I was thinking a lot about documentary and the way that the director's vision of the subject um, influences the documentary, especially in anthropology and things like this, which this is actually bordering on, on, an, on anthropology. Um, and I didn't... I had lots of different thoughts about this um, project. I didn't necessarily concur with her motivation or her rationale or, you know, I, I was, but I felt it was hers. So I thought, well, how am I going to document something that lasts three months and I don't really know what I think about it? So I came up with the idea of surveillance, which is really not um, that unusual these days. But at the time, there was not a lot, there was no Big Brother or reality television, and there was not a lot of um, interesting uses of surveillance. So I got three CCTV cameras and installed them in her house. And I suggested she kept um, an audio diary. And uh, eventually, at the end of three months, it became apparent that the, the most repetitious or that the most important things for me in this project was the repetition to try and emphasize the day-to-day running of, of what she was doing so I focused on three things that were repetitious and I took selections from her audio diary and I made um, an installation where everything ran on different time bases essentially so that you never got the same the three clips were different times the audio diary was another different time so you never got a combination of the same quotes the same screens or the same audio uh, comments at the same time so for me, this was another way of sort of leaving this thing open to interpretation and not being, um, designing a system of documentation that didn't make me the, uh, the, the, the message bearer. And um, I don't know if anybody's heard in more recent times of a website called oneworld.com where um, you can um, put up clips of, of your own um, footage that relates to certain um, subjects. And originally it was an anthropological documentary site. 
and they realized that no one was going to download the whole thing. And then as other people added up different clips and read them in different orders, it gave a nice pluralist sort of voice to the subjects that were being um, imparted. So I think that's what this was about for me. It was about designing a system that was going to um, have m more freedom in it in terms of interpretation. Okay. We wrote a World Cup song. <laughs> Just to throw in another random element. And um, the video... Um, again, it's on YouTube, is actually, um, I really like this video, and that's why I've put it up, um, because it's just us milling about in the background, preparing to shoot a video. And um, tr I train the camera on the um, ghetto blaster, and so the whole thing is just watching the speakers vibrate and watching everybody wander about in the background. So again, it was a sort of found moment. So this time it wasn't even media until I filmed it. But it, it was, it's a nice little bit of uh, film. Okay, so on to current projects. Um, I'm very interested in, in urban screens, uh, again, with the idea of intervening in the environment. Um, it concerns me a lot, the amount of information that we're exposed to in public places and the way that there is no um, empty space in this information. There is no openness to chance. There's no um, ambiguity. You know, and it's all quite stressful. It's all about... Um, you know, people getting blown up and trains are leaving. And, you know, it's all sort of really intensive stuff. And there's quite a movement now called the Urban Screens Movement, uh, driven by a woman called Miriam Strupek, and it's about getting different types of digital artefacts into public spaces. Okay, and this is something I did um, that was on 16 screens across Russia, and I never saw any of them, which is another interesting phenomenon. I sat in my bedroom, made this video... <laughs> uploaded it to an FTP site, and they downloaded it, and apparently, they might be telling lies, but <laughs> so they put it on 16 screens across Russia as part of um, Out Video 2006. I was actually poorly when I made this video, and um, it's, this, it's the street light outside my window, and I think this, I, didn't, I haven't thought this until just now, but I think there's something about the fact that I couldn't leave the house for a long time. And I was just watching this electricity coming on and going off and coming on and going off. And my reflections on it, really. Um, modernism, nationalism and power. Well, that's what I thought. The extremes of political thought. I was thinking, could you have a flag? Because I was working on ideas of electric wallpaper and electric flags. And I thought, if you had an electric flag that evolved all the time, could it, like, unite everybody? <laughs> because you couldn't just have your own little red bit or your own little blue bit. <laughs> Did you shoot when I, I was um, making this video of the um, streetlight, and I was thinking about the national grid, and I was thinking about gridded networks as opposed to organic networks, and then when it became something for Russia, I thought, oh, bloody hell, they'll love this. <laughs> you know, with Russian politics, having gone through all these shifts. So I did play up to that, you know, when I, um, and I started making it into a, something that looked quite nationalistic, in a way. Anyway, I don't know, they're just thoughts. But 
But again, um, in the design for the landscape, so the design to be interventions, so I don't think that would be particularly interesting in a gallery. But I, I was thinking in uh, an urban environment where the lights are actually doing it as well. So I was thinking about the time base of the lights going off and on around it and things like that. And this one specifically as well um, went to um, Canada eventually. It was screened at a conference, but it got put in situation in, in Canada. And it's the idea of positive adverts. Um, and it, it's just, you can't see it, but it says be positive. And it's just little flames. And there's a white one that says stay cool. And I thought, you know, that's all right. That's nice. You know, it's all right. It's, it's all right to um, en encourage people to feel okay. You know, it's not crass and hippie-ish and boring. You know, why do we have to be bombarded with all these crackers messages? We could expose ourselves to nice things, couldn't we, sometimes, you know. So, um, and Americans liked it, obviously, because, again, of the political climate. So be Americans love that, don't they, be positive. Be positive and stay cool. God, I'm a propagandist now. <laughs> yeah, so there it is. Okay. And again, this is the idea of creating some space. Ambient programming, games without result and event without consequence. I'm very interested in narrative, uh, particularly like soap opera, opera narrative, where everything that happens feeds in to a sort of twisting rope. And some of the um, digital uh, video stuff I did are self-portraits where you're changing channels was sort of trying to disrupt that idea because there's a lot of things happening in life for no reason, as we all know. You know, there's like dead ends and there's, there's things that don't make sense. They lead on to things that aren't logical, don't they? You know, and so I started to think about narrative and um, I think it was through working with nonlinear editing and the idea of interactive narrative and um, what could you make little movies where... Um, there's an event without consequence. <laughs> or that, you know, like people get up and leave a room and it has no narrative point. Because we're so keyed into making sense of things, especially sense of things that we watch on the telly, that everything that, that's in there is part, is there for a reason, it's there, you know, especially in advertising. Because that's the sort of zenith of positivist, rational meaning making. And I was thinking about all the loose ends and the outtakes and the errors and the randomness and indefinables. And alongside that, I was thinking of um, things on the telly um, that you're not necessarily watching. Now, we all sort of do that, but it, I thought it'd be nice if there was some television like, like music that you put on for the ambience. You know, you don't put music on and go, you know, and try to make sense of it. You just allow it to be and to influence you. So I was thinking about the ambient visuals that could uh, operate sort of musically. And um, games without result just trying to be a bit difficult about gaming. And I'm not very motivated by gaming. I never understand why you're supposed to win. So this is all like, I thought if you could have an alternative, it would be a, a, state, a, a TV station for digital arts as well, you know, where we could have other things, different things that are not, not necessarily formatted programs. Okay, right, so what's all this got to do with anything? Um... For me, systems theory is totally accounted for in postmodernism, and complex systems theory is accounted for in the theories of Derrida um, about 
you know, the way that the reader participates to make the meaning and you can't constrain um, the outcome. That there's nothing new to me as, as a postmodernist um, theoretician um, in the notions of systems theory and complex systems theory. So I'm interested in working, putting the two together. And I've been writing some stuff about um, postmodernism and complexity theory, uh, particularly in relation to the digital arts. I've got um, a book chapter coming out <laughs> in the Handbook of Research on Computational Arts and Creative Informatics, and it's looking at examples where complex systems theory and art practice has converged in the computational arts. It's not a particularly difficult thing to demonstrate, but for certain audiences, um, because IGI is a very technical publisher, for certain audiences it's, it's saying, look at the ontologies we've got in the humanities, that account for all this new, so-called new type of um, behaviours. I'm interested in how postmodern ontologies can inform complex system science and can also inform design for emergent behaviours. There's another book chapter that I'm doing um, as part of the Embracing Complexity in Design group. Um, we held, the, the Open University held... Um, a three-day event in Brighton uh, last year exploring how um, art practice could inform complex system science. And there are simple ways um, where artists can represent complex or indefinable or random or, you know, those tricky little subjects. But I think there are more important ways where um, there's a rationale behind art and design practices that I think could provide pluralist and adaptive methodologies for complex system science. And this is a journal paper I wrote, I wrote sort of nailing that one, an example of that down for the International Journal of Performance Arts and Digital Media. Uh, not deconstruction theory, but reconstruction theory and the idea of designing the space of possibility in uh, what I'm, I was calling complex media, digital media, because you define a system, you define constraints, you know that the emergent behaviours are going to go in a certain direction and perhaps not in others. And I thought it was interesting to um, bring in systems art and, again, um, post-structuralism, really, into digital practice and relate it to complexity theory. I'm... Um, I haven't made anything for ages because I'm working on um, a, a generative art system that applies post-structuralism in digital space. Now, you wonder why I haven't made anything for ages. I've been at it quite a while now, <laughs> and I'll probably be, be at it for a while longer. But I want it to eventually be a way where you can tweak the semantics of the thing yourself and it will change the visual. And I'm not going to... I don't want to go into huge detail because it's... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm testing it out by um, creating Roland Barthes' Panzini pasta ad, and which I'm trying to create uh, Italianicity in comparison to, say, Norwegianicity for fish fingers and Indianicity for curry sauce, and um, trying to develop a digital ontology that allows us to play with that and manipulate it because I'm interested in media semantics and interaction. And um, 
I'm giving a paper in Singapore in July called Reality Jamming, and it's about um, mediated systems of which um, a great deal of our culture sort of resides within a mediated system. And I'm trying to explore the space in between a person and that system and how the interaction between a person and the system um, relates to notions of complexity theory. Because I think it might, in turn, if post-structuralism can help inform um, not just digital design but complexity science, I think, in turn, complexity science can give media theory some um, useful handles for lots and lots of behavioural stuff that we don't have any handles on at the moment. So, that's where I'm at. And I know it's divergent, and I know it's heterogeneous, and, uh, but that's what I've been doing for 20 years. So, if anybody's got any questions... Mm. Um, if you're not making one, mm. oh, sorry, something, that, that will make something big, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, 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 in a way, you are making yeah, yeah, it's another, to, actually, to me, writing is another material. But um, because I'm from an arts background, it was it, because I was good at writing, there was always this idea of like, oh, well, she's good at writing, so she can't be a proper artist, you know. And um, I, I've met somebody recently at the Cogs Lab at Sussex, and she said, yes, I'm a practitioner, and I'm working with theory at the moment. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's a good way of putting it, because it is an, a, another, it's another, definitely another constructivist material. And my background is as a sculptor, so I tend to approach things in that way, so... I know as well that some of my writing has been criticised for not really being researched, and I thought, well, I don't care, because I'm an artist, and I'm putting ideas out, and if I'm putting ideas out in words, and I'll just do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so there. I think it's really healthy. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I'm glad you think that. That's nice. Thank you very much. Because I come from a systems background, um, and I was just thinking as you were speaking, whether you've gone that step further to chaos theory, um, you know, which, I mean, I think it was Stacey who wrote a lot about systems theory and then sort of eventually, you know, to the notion of chaos theory. And linking that to the way that you're manipulating and like when you describe pictures and words not matching each other and so forth, yeah. just randomly. Yeah, leaving a, a yes. random element. Yeah, yes. I think um, I, I found in a lot of my recent reading, because I was quite interested in chaos theory a long time ago. Mm. Was it Glick or Gluck or somebody? Yes. Well, quite a populist yes. book. Yeah, and um, I've sort of skipped it for some reason, but I, I often find it now in a phrase. It goes, chaos and complexity. Mm. So I go, mm. oh, all right. <laughs> mm. So I haven't actually thought about chaos for a long time in that sense. Mm. But it might be worth something to go back into. It sort of all ended with the Mandelbrot set for me. I don't know why. I think that's when the populist sort of thing went off again. Yeah. 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 It just, just occurred to me while you were talking that some of the things you're doing are creating chaos. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> I like that. So you think it's more chaos than complexity in places? No, I think it is complex, but that doesn't stop it. 
being chaotic. Yeah, because chaos isn't in its common way. There is a sense to it. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I think I shall have to look at it again because I've not um, brought it to the fore of my mind for a long time. I said that's a huge compliment. I think you're creating chaos. Does anybody, um, does it relate to anybody else's practice in any way? Because I'm sort of marrying huge things. I'm trying to rationalise huge fields of study, you know, and, and taking the artist's prerogative of just cherry-picking and going, oh, look, they match. You know, so I'm aware that it might not sound, you know, you could really hammer something intellectually, you know, because it's not ironed out or nailed down yet. I know, Georgia, you know... You're very familiar with systems theory, aren't you? Mm-hmm. We've probably poke a few holes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in the present, sorry. It's really interesting to hear how you incorporated that into your mm-hmm. um, reflections on what you're doing. Actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel very lucky to have been here, actually, because mm-hmm. I, I feel it, because I went into um, the Faculty of Technology, and previously I'd always been in art and design or social science. And just to spend time with people coming from uh, science and technology was really uh, useful. Mm. So now I've gone back into art and design, I'm really hardcore. (laughs) (laughs) So it's interesting. Something that um, has troubled me quite a lot was in my mind the other evening when I went to the launch of a a book not unrelated to what you're talking about, Catherine Mason talking about early so-called computer art. Oh, okay. Um, oh, I've heard about this The whole question of accessibility. And mm. um, I, well, my excuse would be I gave up trying to make interactive art systems by 1972. Okay. Because just no resource yeah. or interest. Yeah. And um, then again, instead of being friendly to oneself, I'm a bit harsher. Yeah. Uh, what I would observe uh, is that what seemed like a very um, attractive field of potential, if one looks back um, in perspective from now, over those decades, um, the huge cultural impact mm. of digital media yeah. on uh, every aspect of our being in every country in the world. Mm. Uh, there isn't a generation, there isn't a gender, there isn't a, uh, uh, another medium like cinema um, that hasn't <coughs> found the affected by digital media. Mm. And, um, and yet, uh, where is the really big impact from the creative arts? Yeah. I, I've just observed that something apparently much more trivial by comparison with, let's say, the idea of optical illusion, mm. which uh, was talked about again decades ago. And almost immediately, you had people like Bridget Ryan, Victor Vassarelli. And most people have heard of it, even if they don't know the names, they see, ah, yeah, yeah. Right yeah. But where 
Where is it? The interactive art system. Yeah. We, we've just been talking within the university about um, how to go about bringing some digital media into onto the screen, onto the walls, into the yeah. ambience of the university. Yeah. It's still groping. I mean, what, why is it? That, I think that, um, that there hasn't been any impact. My, well, I'm principal lecturer in digital media, so I will do my utmost to answer this question um, as rigorously as possible. Um, my motivation in trying to cherry-pick bits of post-structuralism and complexity theory and put it all together is to develop some, some type of critical reference that we can use to assess quality in teaching and in practice. I think Charlie Gear said recently in um, Art, Time and Technology, if new media um, art wants to be taken seriously, it has to help, it has to start developing criteria by which we can assess its value. Now, one of the problems we have is um, <coughs> everybody can do this. So, we, we originally, in Western art history, um, the value of an object and uh, the aesthetic value of an object was weighted in the idea that there was only one and no one else could do it. And Walter Benjamin um, talked about this in his work, The Work of Art in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction, where is the value of something that can be mechanically reproduced? Now, we've not only got mechanical reproduction, we've got mass participation. So we've got, um, you know, these artworks are very often the product of the mass themselves. And um, my paper in the International Journal of Performance and Digital Arts was saying, um, looking at certain artworks and saying, well, how do we assess it? Do we assess it in terms of its design, its construction, what people do with it? You know, sort of trying to raise these questions and iron out how we quantify value in something that's mass accessible and interactive and participatory. It's not an easy question to answer. There are seminal works, um, like Text Rain by Camille Lutterbach. I don't know if you know that. You know, things that stand out with the benefit of hindsight or Telematic Dreaming by Paul Sermon. So we do, we're still doing what we do with art. You know, we look back and we go, oh, look, you can tell that was a good one, you know, with the benefit of hindsight. But um, I find it difficult teaching students. So I'm trying to teach um, art students systems thinking because they're designing systems. And I can say to a student, yeah, I like this proposal, but there's something wrong with it. There's, there's, a, there's a, something cumbersome in the concept. It's not, there's not, the rationale of it's not working, you know. So, in a way, that's why I'm trying to drag all this theory forward so that I can, so I don't have to be ambiguous about why those things aren't working. And I think it's important in the arts um, for us to realise that post-structuralism addresses interpretation, not interaction. So while there are huge things we can use, it's really only complexity science that addresses interaction. So I don't know where the classics are, but I hope that one day one of my students might produce one. You know, through having had a thorough education. Yeah, good question. Do you know Paul Brown? Yeah. yeah. Are you in the Computer Arts Society? I was when he was founded. Well, I think you should start blowing your trumpet because you're all coming back into huge fashion in my circles at the moment. <laughs> It's like the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have to out the grand masters of computer art. Well, no, because that's exactly what, you know, I mean, I, I suppose that, that uh, the challenge for you guys is to uh, do something that really yeah. uh, uh, flies. Yeah. Yeah. 
thank you very much for coming along. I really enjoyed that coming. Thank you very much. Um, I'll leave it. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>